Welcome back to another episode of the Jazari Qual Show. Tonight we have a pretty interesting lineup of guests that are going to be joining us here on the program tonight. We have two county city two Lincoln, Nebraska City Council members, Councilwoman Ward and Councilman Bowers, as well as an Omaha mayoral candidate that's going to be joining us. Um, we'll also touch base with Chris Dunker from the Journal Star to talk about some testimonies that had taken place at the Capitol building during the excuse me during the legislative hearings on the proposed legislation. Um, and we'll also speak with a community member about trans rights here in Nebraska. Uh, just opening this up to begin with, uh, it's Black History Month. And if there was any time where we'd appreciate Black History Month a lot more than we have in the past would be this year, especially with the demonstrations and everything that has happened over this past year um, with activism and all of that. Uh, so I want to take a minute to acknowledge that we still have a lot of work to do after I had seen a post on a student paper in a high school here and I didn't share it. I don't want to go into too much detail because you just don't need to see it because it's an invalid argument that is constantly had. Um, and especially this month we are going to celebrate Black Lives a lot more than we have in the past and celebrate them with honor and really remember those who have lost their lives to police brutality and violence in this country. Our first guest here is going to be a is a mayoral candidate in the city of Omaha. She's going to be joining us here <laughs> momentarily. Um, but Jasmine Harris announced a few months ago that she's going to be running for the mayor's seat in the city of Omaha. Uh, she has a background in public health. And she really wants to focus on bringing Omaha a lot closer together and tapping into unseen, unseen and unheard voices that are really loud and proud of Omaha, but not really given the platform before. And she joins us here now. Jasmine, how are you doing? I am well. How are you? Good. Thank you for coming on the show tonight. So excited to speak with you. Um, Thank you for the invite. Yeah. Um, so a couple months ago, you had announced that you were running for mayor of Omaha. And I kind of wanted just to ask you right off the bat, what made you decide to run for mayor of the city of Omaha? I'm running because I, um, one, am a public health expert. I am a community organizer. I'm born and raised from North Omaha, still live in the area. And I see Omaha still struggling with the same thing that I struggled with as a black woman and single mother over 19 years ago. I have graduated from UNMC with my master's in public health. And after I graduated, started focusing on things in the community, underlying conditions that people struggle with. And just listening to how people really want change in the community, how they don't see things are moving forward and progressing for them, really got me to start thinking, what can we do to make things better? How can I be more impactful? And that aid, that, 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 that old adage of, if not me, then who, if not now, then when? Right. So that's really one of those things that really got me motivated because I've been on the ground doing the work day in and day out for over a decade, addressing things like substance use prevention and criminal justice reform. And, and we keep fighting the same battles over and over. And I know that there the way that we create more change is getting more people in office 
who understand what we're fighting for. Right. I watched the live stream um, that you had did the other day where you were talking about the privilege that we have, especially having our basic needs met uh, with having a roof over our head and things like that. And it's getting extremely cold outside and just seeing how there's a lot of work to be done in our cities as far as just making sure people are taken care of. You know, there's a lot of people out on the streets that don't have access to things that they should have access to in this day and age. Um, and so I know that public health is really near and dear to your heart. Is there anything else that has really been in the forefront as far as if you were to be elected mayor, what is one thing that you could change immediately or one thing that you would really, really run after? So the top things that I want to focus on are our continued response to COVID-19 and the recovery efforts after. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to do a lot. Our community members have struggled through this. We've lost lives unnecessarily. We have to ensure that we are equitably distributing the vaccination across our city. Um, what we're seeing right now is that there are barriers for people who have, you know, not able to get online and register or there are long times to wait on the phone to register transportation to the areas where vaccinations are, are being given. So we have to ensure that people have the access to the, to the vaccination. Mm-hmm. We also have to lead from a standpoint of an educational um, perspective because of the mistrust from the medical, medical systems and healthcare systems and our communities of color, especially our, our black community because of the distrust that has been there uh, historically. So we have to make sure people are educated on the vaccine and that they're making a decision from fact-based and not fear-based. Other thing that I wanna focus on is public safety. And for me, that truly digs into public health because in order for us to have true public safety, we have to begin to address those underlying conditions that impact that. Those are things like safe and affordable housing, transportation, um, where people can get two places in our city and jobs with living wages. People want to treat those as, as if they're their own separate entities, but it's all interconnected. Mm-hmm. And what really, I think, for me is a major thing um, is the prevention piece of people coming into contact with law enforcement. You know, this summer we saw tensions uh, between our community members and our police and it was an us versus them kind of mentality that really bubbled up to the forefront. And if we're on the side of prevention, how are we preventing that contact with law enforcement? And there's the mental health and behavioral wellness unit that was created under OPD. I want that to be staffed, resourced, and funded in a way that we don't have to put people in jail for it. Uh, so that, that's like a passion for me is criminal justice reform and what I spent a lot of my time working on. Right. So, but, you know, it's all, it's all passion for me because it all impacts people. Um, again, because we want to try and separate things out, but all of these play together in people's lives. You know, it was, I think, a little over a week ago that you had met the threshold for the number of signatures needed for your petition and turned it in. Mm-hmm. There is a very real chance that you might be the first black 
or first woman of color to be mayor of Omaha. And being Black History Month and just seeing the things that are happening, what kind of, what kind of gravity has that had to you? Have, you? have you sat down and really thought about that? Like, you're really in this. <laughs> you might win this. Like. I am in this. It is time. Um, it's just like when you, when you go to City Hall or when you go down to the state legislature and you're looking at the walls of uh, past elected officials, mm -hmm. it is time. And it, it amazes me that I'm here. And I think all that I've always said when receiving awards or any or talking to people is representation matters. Right. To have someone who looks like you, who comes from where you are, who can actually make a change, it matters, especially to younger individuals now because now they, they can see something that they have never seen before and aspire to be more. Incredible. So, with it being Black History Month, one, you are making history. <laughs> you're living in the middle of it right now with everything that you're doing. Um, and it's really impressive with everything that's been going on with COVID, right? It seems like you guys have found innovative ways and fun ways to get those signatures that were needed. You know, you did a lot of um, drive-by signatures. I think you even did like a sledding, a signature sledding event um, where people came out with their kids. That was very fun. Um, and just thinking of this election coming up, how are you feeling? Are you nervous? Are you excited? Are you just taking it's, it day by a, day? It's a ball of all of that. And it is, it is day by day. It's almost moment by moment when this is as important as it is, as big as it is, there are moments when I'm like, you know, ooh, what am I getting myself into? But I think if, if anyone does not do that, then they are not ready or prepared mm -hmm. because this is so important. Um, there are times when I sit back and I'm like, wow, we're actually reaching people who feel left out of the process. And like you said, the, just the innovative ways around doing it because of COVID, where, you know, it's a lot of virtual um, things that are happening right now. But for the kickoff weekend, we had the uh, kickoff concert where we were able to reach people through music that way. Um, and I had a, um, a mayoral salon, Boko Berry, who is a phenomenal playwright, a local playwright, uh, where we did um, readings from Zora Neale Hurston and W.E.B. Dubois. Um, celebrating Black History Month. So it, it's just those innovative things where we're reaching people, virtual uh, house parties for people. Um, you just got to, again, be innovative and think around how else are we going to reach people in this time? Because people are um, taking it safe and, and, and being precautious, but it's still an actual campaign where we have to get our name out. Um, I have to get my name out. I have to get my platform out, why I am the right person for this time. So... I want to still take that same energy and that same innovation into the mayoral office because that's what we need in our city. We need a, a, a platform for people to be able to come together and engage and help our city move forward because we have to do it together. Right. Last question here for you. Um, there's been many moments in Black history that's been inspiring to us all. Um, 
there's a lot that, you know, fuel my movement and everything that I do today. Uh, but I just wanted to ask you, what moments in Black history have been really inspiring to you and have really kind of fueled your passion um, and, and lit your way to aspire to do everything that you have been doing? So most definitely, um, you know, it's the same things growing up. It's Martin Luther King Jr. I remember being like five years old and sitting in the room at my grandma's house and hearing his booming voice come across the uh, TV um, as they were uh, replaying his I Have a Dream speech. So things like that have always sat with me. But I think it's also, for me, more modern day when President Obama ran for office and I remember when he came to Omaha, I was one of the first people trying to get down to the Civic Center at that time to see him in person when it was time for us to caucus. Um, and then the night that he was elected, those are those are those things that resonate with me right now. Because I think at that point in time, it was, again, that representation, like, this is real, this can happen. All right. I lied. One last question. What message do you have to <laughs> what what message do you have to all the young men and women, um, people of color minorities, uh, who have dreams and have aspirations to run for office someday, what advice do you have to those people who are watching or might come across this? It's the same message I think I give to um, young professionals, people who want to know how can I create change. Don't wait to be asked. Come in and get involved somewhere. You have to find that passion, something that you really truly believe in, whether it's criminal justice reform or um, environmental justice or you know economic justice, whatever it is, and you are passionate about it, insert yourself, bring your skill set, and start making change there. You can do it with a small group of people. You can join an already an existing organization. But when you get there, it's, it's about hard work, not just doing it because you want a name or want to be seen, because there's a lot of work that has to go into uh, ground lane in order to build on top of that. But I always just say get involved somewhere, show up, and don't really be asked. All right. That's a wonderful message to everybody out there listening. Thank you. Ms. Harris, best of luck to you this election. Uh, we'll be watching and would still want to, um, regardless of how it comes out, we'd still want to invite you back on here to chat with us about just the overall experience and your journeys and further, further goals and dreams, whether you, I mean, you might be the next mayor of Omaha. So that's, and that's, that's <laughs> exciting. So I'm glad to finally meet you and speak with you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful night. Thank you. Well, next guest up is a Lincoln City Councilman. So, if you guys would have, if you guys remember, a few months ago, um, or if you guys recall, 
no pun intended, there was a citywide recall in which the Lincoln, Nebraska mayor, as well as four city council members were attempted to be recalled. One of us, one of them joins me now. Uh, this is Lincoln City Councilman James Michael Bowers. We're going to talk to him about the recall attempt and also about the recent press release and city ordinance that he is introducing. Councilman Bowers, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing really good. Thanks for uh, having me on and giving me a chance to talk about talk a little bit about the good things that we're doing in Lincoln. Good. Are you staying warm in this weather? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I hate it. I so like my like little secret is I'm actually half Floridian because my mom's from Florida, and so I think I've gotten like I've never gotten used to the cold, even though I was born and raised in Nebraska. Yeah. Yeah. It's. <laughs> I think one of these days the high is like negative four. So. <laughs> Stay warm out there. I just wanted to have you come on here because there's a lot of questions and I searched, but I did not find an interview of you talking about this recent recall attempt. Um, but first, I want to ask you about the press release of the new city ordinance that you're going to be releasing. So for those who don't know, Councilman Bowers uh, has a therapy practice here in Lincoln. And can you just tell us a little bit about this ordinance to put a ban on um, conversion therapy, why it came about and why now? Um, yeah, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. So uh, conversion therapy is where um, a person attempts to uh, have someone change their sexual orientation or uh, change their gender identity from how they identify, right? So uh, most commonly probably from folks who are transgender, non-binary, and putting them through this process to have them become cisgender. And conversion therapy has been denounced and discredited from every single major medical and mental health association um, in the world. And I mean, even the United Nations has said that we needed a, a global ban on conversion therapy because it doesn't work. What it does do, however, is leads to an increased risk of suicide, self-harm, uh, anxiety, depression, like the whole range of mental health issues, right? And what's really concerning is that I think folks, when we think about conversion therapy, they think immediately like the electroshock stuff, right? And that, of course, is still going on, but therapy also includes like isolation from your friends, uh, shaming yourself, um, and doing some like really weird things that just are not appropriate uh, for a person. Uh, and it, it doesn't work. And um, there's a really interesting letter that came out uh, from some of the top leaders of uh, the ex-gay movement who founded conversion therapy and they said, we know it doesn't work and we need to uh, embrace people for who they are. So what made this come about? When we started looking at what we can do to, uh, well, okay, let me back up. So as a therapist uh, and a practicing therapist in the community, I'm aware this happens in our city. And I think that a lot of people are unaware that this happens in our city and happens in our state. So a couple months ago, out in Nebraska did a town hall for conversion therapy so the community can learn a little bit about it. And you hear these like heartbreaking stories of people who have survived some really horrible things at the hands of people who are doing conversion therapy. So knowing that we have this happening in our city and knowing that other municipalities have done the same ban in their own cities, we have the power to stop it. And so that's why I wanted to introduce this to save lives and change our community and make sure that we're protecting our most vulnerable, and that's um, youth in, our, in, in Lincoln. Has it been something that you've been working on for quite some time? I mean, because this is, uh, when, I, when I saw this come out 
first off, I was shocked that conversion therapy still happens here in Lincoln. And like you said, my mind immediately went to like the electroshocks and like the camps that they would send kids to and things like that that really mess up somebody's mental health and mental state. Um, so I'm just like, how long have you been working on this? I, I didn't know it was still a thing. So it was very surprising for me to see this press release. Yeah, so this is something that I wanted to do after I had gotten elected on the on the council, um, but I wanted to make sure that I had all of my ducks in a row uh, before I moved forward with it, right? Because I knew that it was going to be controversial. I knew that I would have to make sure that I had not only the votes there on the council, but also the the community support to make it happen. So I, it's been it's been a work in process, and so I reached out with other city councils that have done this in their city. I've reached out with some really great national organizations like the Trevor Project and the National Center for Lesbian Rights and More Imperfect, all of these really awesome organizations that have done this uh, in other cities and other states. And so, as you know, bringing people together can sometimes be a very, very long process and making some real sustainable change can be a very, very long process also. So this has definitely been in the works for a long time. Because as soon as I would have this, as soon as I have this drafted and introduced, I wanted to be sure that um, this was going to be successful. I didn't want to introduce something and then have to make five changes as an amendment, or worse, have it potentially not pass and then potentially set this from passing in the future, uh, set this back by saying, by giving people who might be in opposition and saying, well, we've already taken a vote on it. The council already voted against it. Why are we taking it up again? So this was really important. I want to make sure that when it was time to go public with this, that, um, or maybe public's not the right word, but when uh, it was go time, that it was go time and we had everything ready to go to uh, ensure success. Can you tell us some of the um, cities and states that you had reached out to um, for guidance yeah. on this? So um, Louisville, Kentucky has one. Uh, then um, how it looks in different cities is kind of different, right? So like New York City did something uh, where they banned it on a city level, but then they had to repeal it. So we learned from their lessons on what didn't work um, well for them. Um, there were some cities in Philadelphia. Um, there were some cities in California. Um, specifically, like, I don't have the list off the top of my head, but I could definitely uh, uh, share them with you. Um, but trying to find those cities that really mirror Lincoln, Nebraska. And one thing that we are doing with uh, the, this conversion therapy ban is it's going to be enforced through the Human Rights Commission, which I think is really important. Um, it's not going to be enforced through the police department. It's not going to be enforced through the health department. It's going to be um, essentially investigated by uh, human rights investigators, which I think is a, a, key piece, a key part for enforcement. And so there's not, um, there's uh, like, I think Louisville, Kentucky was the same one that had theirs go through the Human Rights Commission. And then Des Moines, Iowa was another one that had theirs go through the Human Rights Commission. And there was a public hearing on this, uh, opportunity for public comment on Monday. And it seemed like people were taking this out of context, like saying that it was restricting free speech yeah um, <laughs> really frustrating i think sometimes people either um don't read it or they uh, automatically assume the worst or um they don't whatever right um i think one of the one of the people who came out in opposition said are you going to prevent me from speaking to my child about what i believe in the bible i'm like well no because you're not your child's therapist right like 
this applies towards licensed and registered mental health practitioners and healthcare professionals um, in our city. This doesn't apply to pastors and preachers, um, and they can still say what they want to say in their religious services. Um, this applies to therapists like me and social workers like me. Um, and we have providers in our city that have the same credentials um, that are performing this. And so uh, people, for some reason, were misconstruing um, what and who this applies to. And um, I don't necessarily think that a lot of the arguments that were made against it were necessarily made in good faith. Interesting. Yeah, I was watching that um, and reading about it and art the articles that came out about it and the public comment, but I really want to ask you about the recall attempt. Um, so I had messaged you about it initially. What was your reaction when it came out that, you know, there were community members that were trying to recall you, um, fellow council members, and also the mayor? Yeah, so with the recall, the whole recall, I, I, that was like a whirlwind of emotions, right? Because when I first heard about it, um, I my phone started blowing up a little bit. Um, and I was, so I'm also a social worker at middle school. And uh, folks were saying, you know, hey, did you see, uh, there's like a press conference going on about you. And I had kind of heard some rumblings that something might be happening. But I mean, you hear a lot of stuff, right? Like, and not everyone moves forward with it. Um, one of the things that really brought me comfort is I really admire Pat Lopez. Um, I have had the opportunity to work with her before I was elected to the city council. And I mean, she's like a recognized uh, leader uh, in health departments. And so being so clear of conscience and being so uh, uh, protective uh, of Pat Lopez and trusting her completely really uh, added a level of this is the right thing. And if this is the thing that takes me down, then so be it. And I think, you know, we had talked about before, I think when, as things started going, probably right in the middle of it, my mom winds up in the hospital for like a couple of weeks. And that added like a level of, um, I, I don't know if anger is the right phrasing um, or frustration, but I mean, like here's my mom in the hospital and our contact is limited and we have paramedics and nurses and doctors and uh, technicians that are putting themselves at risk trying to take care of someone who's very, very important to me and is a complete stranger to them. And one way that we can protect these people that are protecting us is by wearing a mask. And that is what this was all about. And I See, and that's the confusion for me too. Like I was not, a lot of people were sh unsure what the recall was for. At first it was for masks, and then it was because of suspending your own rules, and then it was with how the protests were handled, and then it was with <laughs> so many different things. I mean, yeah, what do you, <laughs> were you nervous? Were you scared? Were you panic? Were you chilled about it? Or were you just kind of just like focusing on just like your job and your you know, mom being in the hospital? For the first couple of weeks, I, to say that I was like completely calm about it I, isn't necessarily accurate. Um, I think what I probably thought of more is being, it's hard for young people to get elected into office, right? I mean, I have some really great colleagues on the council, but I'm very clearly the youngest one on the council. And 
I like to think that while I'm not like at the beginning, beginning of my career, I'm still pretty early in my career. And I mean, my career as a social worker and as a therapist, right? And uh, to know that the horrible things that were being said about us, like the kids that I work with are going to hear or that mm. my client is going to hear or that it might potentially scare away younger people from uh, getting involved, that's kind of really what broke my heart, right? Because it's so hard to recruit younger candidates because, I mean, this doesn't come with health insurance, right? Like, I mean, this doesn't come with <laughs> So to say that, like, you're not only going to be putting in, like, these hours and these weekends and trying to serve your community in, in a, uh, a community that can be pretty divided at times, um, but to also think that your name is going to get dragged across the mud um, is can be a scary thing for a lot of people. But there was a lot of love that came in, and I'm very, very thankful and very, very grateful for that. Okay, well, thank you for joining us, Councilman Bowers. Hope you stay warm throughout this time, um, and we'll continue following this to see what the vote is on. The 22nd. The 22nd, okay. Awesome. And we'd like to have you on afterwards to get your reaction about that, so. Love Thank you for joining. I will talk Thanks to you so soon. Good. Have a good night. Bye. All right. Yes, I can, Natalie. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Um, real quick, I was going to give you a brief introduction, but <laughs> you went ahead and broke the silence. Good to see you. So for all of you guys uh, who do not know Natalie, she uh, is a community member here in Lincoln, um, is quite involved in various different things, uh, and she's also a member of the trans community, and we want to welcome you onto the show tonight to talk to us a little bit about trans rights in Nebraska. Uh, just to kick it off, a couple weeks ago, there was a Trump rally uh, that I had met you at, and in there, there were some individuals that were very rude. I don't need to repeat the things that they said. Um, we were there, we heard it, it was not appropriate, and it was quite disgusting. Uh, and then you reached out and asked, to, you know, said, let's have a discussion about trans rights in Nebraska. And I said, absolutely. Um, especially with everything that had gone on with the ban in the military and then it being lifted by executive order within the last week. Uh, so I think the best way to do this is just to start by telling us your story, Natalie. Oh, <laughs> um, well, uh, <laughs> uh, I, um, I came out as trans when I was 28. Uh, I'm 36 now, so it's been about about eight years, um, and have been living as a woman for for that amount of time. Um, I've um, been active in fundraising efforts for local candidates. I worked for James Michael Bowers' first uh, uh, run for the state legislature, um, which was almost eight years ago now. Um, I'm I'm a politico and and um, trans activist located here in Lincoln. I've worked on a handful of presidential campaigns and worked with ACLU Nebraska and out Nebraska on a whole whole bunch of issues. And I um, am in communication with my elected leaders often, uh, both at the city and the state level and at the federal level. And uh, I, I advocate for trans inclusion in society and for, for better better rights enshrined in law for people like myself. So you came out, you said, 
when you were 28 years old. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. So throughout that entire time up until then, um, what was life like? Right. Um, I've gotten this question a lot of, uh, in several um, situations. Um, um, the way that I like to describe it is that um, everyone knows what it's like to tell a lie, right? And think about what it's like to tell a lie to someone that you love, right? So sort of pick up that rock and, and put it in your backpack and, and carry that weight around with you. Um, and then if you can, imagine telling a lie not to one person, but to every person, every acquaintance, every friend, every family member, every stranger, every coworker, and not just a little lie, but a lie bigger than anyone has ever, you know, one of the biggest lies that you can tell, a lie about who you are as an individual, and think about what that might do to your mental health after a week, after a month, after a year, after 10 years, you know? And that is what it's like to live in the closet as a trans person. It's, um, you know, you're, you're lying to everyone in your life about who you are. And it makes living life really difficult. It makes being truly happy really difficult. It makes forming meaningful relationships really difficult. And that is why a lot of trans people, that is a, a big reason why a lot of trans people suffer so much mentally um, because, uh, you know, we, we build up this narrative that is false about who we are and we live in that lie uh, until we come out or um, until we decide that living with that lie is something that we're comfortable with and we do it for our entire lives, you know, and that's, that's the best way that I can describe what that's like. So we just had Councilman Bowers on who talked about mm -hmm. conversion therapy and he, he himself is a therapist mm -hmm. um, and is also a part of the gay community. And he was talking about just the mental draining of it and placing a ban on it. And as you mentioned, you're very civically engaged. Um, mm -hmm. And so were you aware that this practice was still being done here in Lincoln? Oh yeah, yeah, it's done all over the state of Nebraska. Um, there's only, um, there's only a handful of states that have outlawed that practice entirely. Um, Senator Hunt has the last handful of years been spearheading the effort in the state legislature here in Nebraska to get that, to get conversion therapy outlawed. Um, James, uh, James's bill is a, it's a really great first, first step in getting a convert therapy ban, a total ban instituted in, in Lincoln and in the state of Nebraska. Um, I was at the city council meeting um, James's bill, which would be uh, an amendment to Title 11 of the city charter, um, it, it's just for minors and it's just for licensed healthcare practitioners. Um, the, the organizations that are most active in administering conversion therapy are religious organizations. Um, and James's bill doesn't do anything to address those, those situations um but we're trying really hard to to get conversion therapy bans in the entire state and to have the lincoln city council take the lead on this and to have james introduce this um i think 
I think it's going to get passed in its current form here for Lincoln, and, and that will be a really important first step, um, getting municipalities to pass uh, legislation like this is um, it puts a lot of pressure on the state legislature um, and if we can get Lincoln's passed if we can get something similar introduced in Omaha and maybe um, something similar in Kearney or Grand Island and, and have a few of our larger cities uh, pass something like what James has passed the odds of us getting a more robust conversion therapy ban passed in the state legislature is, is more likely so do you have um you know, we talked about, we didn't talk about it, but we talked about just overall trans rights in Nebraska. And kind of what, what would you say is the most difficult thing that like you have experienced? What's something that you've constantly encountered? You know, um, like the interaction that we had seen that, at that Trump rally. What, mm. is, what are some like consistent issues that you face? And I feel like a lot of people don't think about the discrimination that the trans community faces. What are some constant issues that you run into or constant discriminatory things you come across here in town when just trying to live your life and be a community member? Um, well, things that I deal with are things that the community here in, in Lincoln and in Nebraska deal with. Those are, you know, which one, which, which one would you like me to talk about either? Okay, <laughs> well, so, so um, the community at large um, we, we deal with uh, employment discrimination on a pretty regular basis. Mm -hmm. And employment discrimination is one of the biggest reasons that people choose to remain in the closet and not come out as trans. There are a lot of trans people who have been fired after they've come out from stable careers. Um, you know, not, not, I mean, not, uh, not hourly jobs. You know, these are, these are things with salaries and with benefits and they decide to come out and they're fired for that. It's a totally legal thing to do in the state of Nebraska. And that is something that we deal with pretty regularly. Um, as far as things that I, I've been very fortunate and have, have not had to deal with that in, in my employment history. Um, but I do that on purpose. You know, I seek out inclusive places to, to work at and with. Um, something that I deal with pretty much all of the time, almost every day, and I think almost every trans person in Nebraska deals with this every day, is just run-of-the-mill, everyday bigotry that you get from strangers, you know, from standing in a line at, at a store, at a coffee shop, walking in public, you know, going on a walk with your pet, going to and from your front door to your car if you live in an apartment complex sometimes. Um, a, a lot of the things that I experienced and that you witnessed at, at that Trump rally down at the state capitol on the 6th, um, you know, people will point and snicker and stare and they will say really, really mean things. Um, they'll, they'll say that we're disgusting. They'll, they'll tell us to stay away from their children. They'll, they will tell us to go and kill ourselves. And that, that happens every day to trans people in Lincoln and in Omaha and in the entire state of Nebraska. And that can get pretty exhausting uh, pretty quickly, <laughs> as one might imagine. Uh, housing discrimination is another thing that we, we deal with pretty regularly. Um, housing discrimination? Yeah. yeah like yeah. when you're just trying yeah. to move to a new apartment and... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, a landlord so, yeah, will tell find us, out tell that us more about that. Have you ever ran into issues with that before? 
not myself personally, no, but uh, I do know people that have. Uh, there are plenty of private landlords, you know, who, um, you know, and, and a lot of the LGBT community and especially the T community exists in lower income brackets in the state of Nebraska. And, you know, these, these sort of private landlords who, you know, have a handful of units, um, the, the enforcement uh, for non-discrimination in housing is pretty much non-existent for LGBT individuals in the state of Nebraska. And yeah, yeah, people, people are turned down and sometimes uh, even kicked out of their places of residence after they come out, you know, if they come out while they're living in a place, much like happens when they're, when they come out on a job and sometimes they're let go from that position, the same thing happens pretty regularly. So yeah, with you being so civically engaged, you talked about running for legislature before, if I heard that correctly, mm -hmm. um, working on so many different campaigns and things like that. Have you, what are some things, have you tried to have other, you know, protections put in place um, to protect the LGBTQ? Um, right. Um, so. I advocate for the passage of these things. Political realities, especially in the Midwest and especially in Nebraska, um, are such that passage of robust legislation and robust bills that would really help us on the things that we need help on are extremely difficult to, to pass. Um, so a lot of the conversations that I have in the state center around What's the best way to talk about this issue for this particular legislative cycle? Is it worthwhile to try and raise money or to try and organize volunteer phone calls or door knockings on a particular issue? Um, is it worth spending money on a particular issue at this point in time? And exactly how do we want to frame the argument so that maybe we can pull over a couple more votes and in the future pull over a couple more votes and in the future pull over a couple more votes until we're in a position where we can get some of these things passed. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm very involved in, I, I think most of the discussions in city governments and in state governments centered around um, introducing LGBT specific legislation and um, protections. Uh, but, you know, the reality of our political climate and the way that uh, a lot of people who are not fully informed on what LGBT people have to deal with in our city and in our state, how they, how they view the issue and how they would vote on the issue and how they would internalize uh, passing some of these things, those are, they're real barriers for us to, to get things done right now. Uh, so. I'm not certain if I answered that question the greatest, but no, you know, we're, we're, we're trying. We're trying really hard. We've got a lot of really, really great elected leaders that are trying really hard and we're getting closer pretty much every year. And I think that sometime soon we're going to get some of these really important things. It's, yeah, it seems like it's just a long with it. It's, it seems like it's this state, right? So even just that, all those issues and problems that need to be corrected and protections that need to be put in place, as well as for like people of color and minorities and that it's like, it takes so long for us to see progress and change and protections put in place that should be in place. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, this would be much easier in a state that's I don't know, like California or someplace like that, which is so diverse. Yeah, but even even in places like California, um, 
California was the first state to outlaw transpanic defense, which is a, a legal defense that allows perpetrators of crimes to to argue in a court of law that the reason they committed the crime was because they found out the person they committed it against was gay or trans. Um, California became the first state to outlaw that practice in 2004 or five, something like that. Um, and that, even there, that was an extremely controversial thing to be doing. Um, nowadays, the arguments that we see against LGBT inclusion in, in law uh, center around trans people using public bathrooms and trans people participating in interscholastic sports, high school and, and collegiate level sports. Um, those arguments uh, are really effective uh, for people that are not fully informed on what it is to be LGBT and are not fully informed on the discrimination that we face. And when you go in front of an uninformed voter and you say, if you pass this law, it means that um, men will be able to disguise themselves as women and legally gain access to dressing rooms at the YMCA or to public restrooms so they can harass your mom or your sister or your wife. That is a really powerful emotional message that is, that is very effective for people who who probably would be on our side if they were fully informed, but because they're not fully informed and we don't have the money to effectively argue against that type of argument, um, that's what they hear on the radio ads, that's what they see on the television ads, that's what they're getting in the mailers when something's being voted on. And so that's the, that's the emotional argument that resonates with them. Um, and that's, that's not unique to Nebraska. You know, they're, they're, most states do not have fully robust trans equality. Um, even in even in California, even in Massachusetts, even in New York, uh, which I would argue are getting really close to to having all of the things that trans people need to be able to exist equally in society. But even those places are not quite there yet. And the reason is because there's just so much confusion and so much ignorance on on what it is to to live the existence that I live and that people like me live and the discrimination that we face. Okay, well, Natalie, thank you so much for coming on and sharing that with yeah. us. I definitely do want to continue this discussion um, on another live stream show with you, if you don't mind. Um, Absolutely. We'll be in touch. All right. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Have a wonderful night. Thank you. You as well. All right. We're going to really quick have on one of our friends um, over at the Lincoln Journal Star, Chris Dunker. You guys have known him. You guys have seen his reporting. He's been out covering events as well. Uh, I want to have him on real quick to talk to him about the legislative hearings and the testimonies that have been going on. He joins us now. Chris, how are you doing? Audio, audio. Oh. <laughs> I'm doing great, Jazari. How are you? Good, thank you. We only have a couple minutes, but I really wanted to have you on to talk to you real quick with everybody about how the testimonies have been going. I woke up that morning after uh, Adam Morfeld's the hearing and the testimonies that were given, and I had seen your entire Twitter thread of reporting on the event, and just seeing that shot of a huge, massless crowd arguing that they should not be forced to take a vaccine 
to help stop the spread of a virus. <laughs> How was the overall vibe in that room that day? I mean, I, um, I was worried for you. Yeah, well, it, luckily we have, the Journal Star has an office at the Capitol, so I was a little bit distanced from it, but I would go down and just kind of check and see how things were going um, every so often. Um, you know, I think that a lot of people were kind of um, a little bit nervous, just that was the first kind of big crowd that we've had at the Capitol this year to testify on a bill. And, um, you know, a lot of people gathered into a really kind of closed space. The hallways aren't very big and, and they all wanted to get in and testify. And, um, you know, I, I didn't keep a count on how many people ultimately spoke, but, you know, it was probably 30 or a little bit more. Um, you know, the, the kind of, the bill is LB 643 by um, Senator Ben Hansen from Blair. And essentially oh, it was- Yeah, I got that messed it, up. Oh, no, that's fine. And essentially, um, it would allow uh, individuals to decline to take a vaccine if there's a state um, public health emergency where one is um, mandated. And so we're, you know, right now we're in a public health emergency. There's no mandated vaccine that's going on. There seemed to be a little bit of confusion among some people who testified that that this was going to be coming, and um, you know, I guess <laughs> Governor Pete Ricketts didn't even issue like a statewide mask mandate. I don't think he's going to um, implement a, a statewide vaccine mandate. Um, but you know, some of these folks that testified, the their reasons for supporting the bill kind of ran the gamut between um, you know religious exemptions, uh, people who had an allergic reaction or some kind of reaction to a vaccine. Uh, you know, an adverse reaction um, to, you know, some healthcare workers who said that they didn't think that it would, you know, that it violated some kind of implied consent that patients, you know, should be able to tell them that they want a vaccine rather than, you know, just being given one um, to some kind of, you know, debunked um, claims that vaccines cause autism to conspiracy theories that this is a, a ploy by um, Bill Gates to control people. Um, you know, and so- <laughs> Do you oh, think ahead. there's just a lot of confusion with everything that's going on? First off, like when that bill was introduced by Senator Hansen, I just immediately thought that that was going to open the floodgates for a bunch of conspiracy theories and confusion for people going on. So when they see this, it automatically triggers like, oh, there's a mandate. I need to go and, you know, they're making this mandatory, so I need to go and support this bill to be able to refuse. Yeah, yeah, I do think that that happens um, sometimes. That happens with like a lot of different legislation. Um, but, but in this, you know, you have a, a community um, that is very passionate about being anti-vaccine. And, you know, something like this comes out and, you know, it, it, as we've seen here with a lot of different different things in the country. It just takes kind of one little kernel of misinformation and, um, you know, it can kind of spread into this big thing. And so I think that there was some fear and there remains to be, there remains some fear that um, the vaccine mandate is coming. You know, I don't think that that's happening. I don't think that, you know, like I said earlier, the governor isn't going to mandate a vaccine here in the state. Um, but, you know, some of the, the senators that sat on the committee, some of the concerns that they voiced were, you know, what happens if this bill is um, voted into law and signed by the governor, 
you know, in the in the future, you know, after the public health emergency is over, after the coronavirus um, pandemic is over, would this allow um, Nebraskans to opt out of vaccines? You know, here in the state, we have a um, an immunization schedule that, that people need to follow if you want to enroll in um, school. You know, you got to get some shots before kindergarten and before seventh grade. And, um, you know, would this allow folks to opt out of those vaccines? And if that happens, what are the public health implications of that? Do we start to see a resurgence of some diseases that, you know, we just don't deal with anymore, uh, like polio, for example? And so, um, you know, there was a lot of testimony in support of this by, um, you know, folks that have this concern about some kind of vaccine mandate that doesn't appear to be kind of grounded in um, reality at this point. And then the only opponent to the bill was the Nebraska Medical Association who said, you know, like, we got to think about the long-term impacts that a bill like this would have. Chris, thank you for hopping on. We're a little bit over on time. I yeah. always love hearing your observation. Um, come on again and give us some more updates on what's going on there. I can't be there during the day <laughs> to, to observe these hearings that are going on, but keep doing what you're doing. Always great seeing yeah. you. Thanks, Shazari. Have me back anytime. Have a good night. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Our last guest for tonight is another city council member here uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska, the capital city. So Councilwoman Tammy Ward, who has done tons of work in the community, has served on different boards. Uh, she has been a city council member since 2019, so a couple years now. And so we're gonna talk to her a little bit about her experience with the recall that recently happened um, and also kind of other issues here in the community. She joined us now, Councilwoman. Ward, how are you doing? Good. How are you, Jazari? I am doing great. Thank you for coming on in such short notice. <laughs> we mess oh, we message you. Not at all. It was so, all good. I was just watching Chris and Natalie. Great, great guests. They're wonderful. Um, yeah. So I great. wanted to ask you real quick. I was asking yeah. Councilman Bowers about the recall attempt. Can you tell us what was going through your mind when that whole thing came about what were you thinking where were you <laughs> what was yeah yeah great great question you know I have to say most of the time I tried to stay grounded thinking that the citizens of Lincoln really in the end would do the right thing and for me even though I was involved and up for recall I I, I really felt that in the end the citizens would do the right thing and the voters and that they had already voted once for the mayor and for the four of us that they were recalling were under recall so it did prevail you know i think most as we know the people in lincoln that vote and, and are informed they didn't want to be disenfranchised with the votes they had made in the case of the council and the mayor less than you know two years ago so I tried to stay grounded with that as my compass, and um, it, it's, it wasn't an easy or fun thing to go through. But when you do the right thing for the right reason, even if it would have turned out differently, um, I'm grateful it didn't. But you just got to kind of know that in the end, you trust trust the community you live in to do the right thing. Yeah. Wow. So I was looking over. Um, 
some of the involvement that you had done, you had, you've served on a few different boards, you have been very active and civically engaged in all different forms of government. Uh, so that was really impressive to see. Uh, one thing I, we had messaged you about was kind of just the, the crisis that's happening in Lincoln as far as, you know, the weather getting so cold outside and people out in the streets and a lot of them are veterans who are out there. And I know that you had done a lot of work um, with the vets in our community. And I just kind of wanted to see what your thoughts were about that. If there's any, any ideas that you have or any ordinances that we might keep an eye out on or like what is the city doing to keep people safe during like this weather and as far as, you know, the veterans in our community. I'm really glad you asked about the veterans. Again, that's such a special population to so many of us. So um, to answer your, the first part of your question, I have been really fortunate to work on veterans homelessness issues in my career. And um, there is a veterans transitional housing um, unit out at the veterans Affairs campus at 75th and O that I was fortunate enough to be part of that development team several years ago that helped build that. Um, it was a public-private partnership, so it involved the foundation that I directed at the time. But when that um, facility got built, that um, helped the homeless veterans population in Lincoln a very great deal. But it's still not perfect, as you know, that's why you're asking. Um, but it did bring those numbers down significantly in Lincoln when that um, facility was built. It's for it's called VASH Housing, Veterans Administration um, Supportive Housing. So it's an 18-month transitional housing for veterans. It's full all the time, I understand, with a wait list, um, which makes me proud. But it also says to me we have a lot of work to do. Um, with that population. Now to answer your other question about what are we doing, um, I think the uh, most important thing that I see being done, and we certainly need to do more as a city, but the Homeless Coalition, are, are you familiar with them at all? Have you heard about them before? I am not. They are amazing. So they meet monthly and it is just what it says. It's a coalition of about 45, I wanna say, nonprofits in Lincoln that meet monthly and their specific topic is homelessness in Lincoln. So um, it's an amazing coalition who, it's everybody from Centerpoint to, and I shouldn't even start to name them all because I'll leave the important, <laughs> all of them are important, you know how that goes. Right. But, but they work really hard on our homeless population and they, they collaborate and they come together. They, um, I try to go to them, Zoom with them when I can. And so the city helps support them as best we can. Um, but during this weather, it's really critical, as you know. So they do amazing work, and we do help partner with that coalition. Always more to do. Always. Uh, it's interesting because I, um, in a course I'm taking, we're, I was looking over the city's um, master plan or long-term plan, comprehensive plan um, through 2050. Uh, and I was reading some editorials in the Journal Star that was talking about one of the key issues that is facing is having enough housing because Lincoln is growing at such a rapid rate and the projections of the increased numbers of household and like the demand for it and like meeting those demands. One thing I'm worried about too is as the city continues to grow, so will that homeless population. Mm -hmm. um, and also just think about how Lincoln grows and the cost of living, maybe not drastically over, um, 
increasing in such a short amount of time. But eventually, I feel like there are people who will not be able to just, you know, make ends meet or just get by because there's a lot of people struggling, plus, you know, going through a pandemic. And so I'm just worried that over time we might see an increase in the homeless population. Um, and also feeding into that, uh, people who were living just, you know, a regular life um, and able to make ends meet. Do you see that being an issue or is there, has, have you guys talked about kind of the potential of that population increasing with the size of Lincoln increasing? I, yes, we have, and I think you're absolutely right, especially during a time of COVID. Those of us that are more fortunate, we, like you mentioned, um, even those of us gainfully employed or, or can struggle, right, let alone the homeless. So it is part of what we talk about, and we are in the just beginning stages of our next budget process. And so we do support a lot of good nonprofits that help support that population. And I'm really proud of of that, that the city does do that. And I think that's something we don't talk about enough or that we don't spend enough time looking at to help um, make sure that those dollars get out the door as best we can. So we have to really stay laser focused on that population. And I think that we're fortunate to have a council um, that really as a majority, as I look at it, um, really does care about that population. And I don't think it will go unnoticed as the city grows, especially as we deal with the affordable housing action plan, mm -hmm. which you which you were alluding to. Um, I just got off a call with um, the uh, people at the CLCs in Arnold Heights and Air Park. And, we, and that's part of what we talked about too. It was really in context of the new school out there, yeah. but we also talked about what that will mean for that part of the city in terms of new rooftops and affordable housing and but your point is homelessness and i hear you and it won't go ignored well i wish we had a lot more time we're out of time i hours. know we could talk a long time oh, i'm really could. so glad to be here thank you for asking me i'm thank, so honored thank you for coming on i was excited to have you every interaction i've had with you has been wonderful and i've enjoyed um likewise so thank, thank you, you so much for everything that you've done and everything you continue to do for our city council hope for good work thank you have a wonderful evening bye Bye-bye. That brings us to our closing. Thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Jazari Qual Show. We will be back again on Tuesday for another round of interviews and discussions on things happening in Lincoln and Omaha and keeping you guys all informed. Be sure to share this live stream if you haven't already. Uh, visit qualdom.com to see how you can support the Jazari Qual Show. And be sure to like and follow all of our pages and stay tuned for more content. We'll see you here next time. Bye.